Hey, welcome to What's on Your Mind. My name is Peter Snauwaert, and today I give you Andreas Kreten. He is the founder and CEO of Made with Love. He founded that company in 2008, and the company is all about software development services. And we're going to talk about startups, the difference between the US and the Belgian culture, the ecosystems in startups, and all the lessons he had learned when he started. Very inspiring. A conversation for everybody who is living in the startup or scale-up world. And if you're an entrepreneur, also you can benefit from the gold nuggets Andreas Kreten is sharing. Enjoy, Andreas. Bye-bye. Welcome to What's on Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week, a guest talks about his or her story, and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. Hi, Andreas. Andreas. <laughs> Technology. Yep. It's great, eh? Love it. Especially when you set up a podcasting uh, studio. Is, is this the reason why you started uh, and, and studied informatics? To have some software and hardware which uh, don't work together uh, or whatever you want to do with it? I think, uh, I think the software and hardware stuff started before I started studying. I only studied because I had to. So um, it's... Uh, I started playing around with computers when I was like 14 or something, when my dad threw away his old Dell computer, our first computer in the house. He claimed it was broken, but I think he just wanted a new computer and he disconnected the hard drive or something like that. And that's how I got my first computer, to f by fixing that one. And since then I've been working with computers. Yeah. And was it still running on MS-DOS? Uh... No, no, it was uh, actually, the f I think the first one of the first uh, generation of Windows 95 computers. Yeah. 95. So probably when I got it, it was running Windows XP, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we were actually one of the first households in Belgium to get a broadband internet connection. So we never had a dialed modem. So we, that probably also... Um, and then I had a long cable from in, running throughout the house through my room to, to, to browse on the internet. So it, was, uh, it was fun. And there was no... There was immediately... That's the passion of you. Computers. I remember that I was bored in school and my dad printed a manual on HTML. Mm. So it was a, and I remember making and trying it out on the, uh, on paper. So like writing HTML on paper with frames and stuff like that. So that's probably the first thing that, that triggered what I'm doing today. And I've always been interested in technology in general. Um, so, uh, and the funny thing is I've, I've uh, build a, I mean, I've been studying to become a sound engineer, so um, mm, that also comes with a lot of technology. And then, uh, yeah, I started my company when I was 18 and actually started my company uh, almost before I went to, to, to school. So uh, the, You started your company when you were 18. So, yes. I mean, I saw that you, uh, you studied two things. Um, mm -hmm. You have a bachelor and a master. <laughs> um, so this means that while you were studying, you were already playing yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think I took my first client when I was 16. Don't tell the, uh, <laughs> the tax inspectors. But, uh, I took my first client when I was 16, I think. And, and then from then on, I kept doing that. And then when I was 18, I formalized it into a company. And I think I hired my first employee when I was 19. You know, maybe even 18, I don't remember. Uh, so we had an office in Antwerp when I was 19. And uh, we were with four people there. Me and my co-founder. 
a freelancer who was working for a government base and then, uh, and then a first employee. So I studied indeed uh, informatics. So actually I started, I'm, com I'm coming from technical education. So, in, um, so I, and I went to university and they, they thought I was crazy and they were right. So I wanted to study uh, commercial uh, engineering with an option for informatics. I dropped out after six months or something. And then my, my parents said, you have to study something. So I went to do applied informatics. Um, and there the teachers told me, you don't have to come to the courses because you already have the skills. And, um, and actually the, there was a very, very funny story about that is that I, I graduated um, and for graduation, you have to do a, an internship and, mm -hmm. and some kind of project. But yeah, I thought it was a stupid idea to go do an internship with a competitor. Um, so there is a system where you can prove that you already have certain knowledge um, and then you can get the, 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 the credits um, just by that. By the, so I basically, I, I got one year for free by proving that I already knew what I was doing. And uh, you had to make a, a portfolio and uh, some kind of yeah, file for that that you had to submit to the Flemish government. And, uh, and present it, and the cover letter was written by Werner Vogels, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I think uh, by reading that first page, probably they they already realized that yeah, that it made absolutely no sense. But Werner Vogels, what time was that then? Around two thousand uh, eight, I think. Uh, I was actually the first Amazon Web Services customer in Europe. Because uh, Amazon I, Web Services started in 2006, I believe. Yeah, yeah? but in, I think in Europe there's since 2007, 2008. And I, I toured with Werner for, I did a roadshow as one of the first customers uh, with them uh, throughout Europe. Jam. So I got to, you know. Um, so, and then while I was working, I was also studying, but yeah, it was more working than studying. And then um, I wanted to prove that that's cool that I still, I mean, that I could do a, a master's as well. So I went to do a master's. Um, after the, I finished my bachelor, and so I graduated in 2003, December 2013. Yeah. I mean, if you already had the knowledge and you're already having a company, I mean... It was what, to prove for my parents, I guess. Okay. And and the, your parents, are they all... Do you come from an entrepreneurial no, background? No. But, and, um, and, 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 when, and when you started your company, when you were 18, weren't you like Andreas, Andreaske, eh? <laughs> little Andreas... Why, why start a company? Why, yeah, don't exactly. you, why, why don't you work for the government or for proxies? Yeah, so my, my father is this typical kind of uh, uh, worker. He's been working in the same company for 40 years or something now. Uh, he's, he's about to, to, to retire and he's like on, on half-time half retirement now or something like that. The crazy things they, they, they come up with. And my mother is a, was a teacher. Um, she graduated, a bit, uh, she retired a bit earlier. Um, but um, yeah, so they were absolutely not uh, from an economical background. And, my family has always been in politics and diplomatics and uh, and science, basically. So, um, so absolutely nothing to do with entrepreneurship. And I think I'm actually the only one in the family, like in the broader family, who's an entrepreneur. Yeah. But I assume right now they're quite pr proud of you. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I remember that I had to write a letter to ask them if, if I could um, if I could start a company. I mean, not that I did, not that I needed their approval, but I wanted their approval, obviously. And um, I wrote them a letter to explain why I wanted to do that. And yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was an interesting, interesting time. Yeah. Cool. Now we're going to go completely 180 degrees. Yes. We have one passion in common. And it's we are so uh, different in our views. Is the fact that, I mean, the pandemic 
has pushed and caused and uh, challenged a lot of companies, a lot, <laughs> all of them, to work remote. Mm -hmm. Made with Love, your company, has been working remotely from day one, if I'm... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and where, where did you get that, that motivator? Did, was it from Amazon? Where, where did you get that? No, so you had to know the... So basically back then I was, um, I was still studying. So I was studying in Hasselt, uh, which is a city um, yeah, in, in one, one side of uh, Belgium. I was living in Leuven, which is like in the center of Belgium. And then we had an office in Antwerp, which is the other side more or less of Belgium, let's say. So it's like pretty far away. And um, and also in that Antwerp office, so we do have we did have an office in the beginning. So we've been remote from day one because if you would say, I mean, like I guess most entrepreneurs, we started from our living rooms or or um, our bedrooms, let's say. And so Jonas, my co-founder, he was living in another city that I was living. So we basically were already communicating through chat and, and all that kind of means rather than, than having a lot of physical uh, contact. So that's that's how we started, and then. Um, when we moved into the office, we had the office for three years. We had one person who was coming from Brussels, one from Ghent, one from Leuven. And I, uh, we had someone from Rotterdam as well. Uh, there was no direct, I mean, there was a direct train, but there was a long train. So there was no Tadish yet. So, um, and, uh, and at one point in time, after three years, we had to think about, okay, what are we going to do with the lease of the office? Are we going to prolong it or not? And then we decided that it makes no sense to all spend at least an hour a day, most of them two hours or three hours a day in commuting, let's all move as close as possible to where we live. And that meant, for example, that one of the people, he moved back to Madeira, he was coming from Madeira. Um, and that, I guess, really marked our remote um, culture. Um, so I guess it's around 2010 that that, that, that happened. Uh, but we have always been this kind of disconnected company or asynchronous company and you have to know that uh, most of our customers were in the Netherlands at that time so it was also a lot in Amsterdam um, so with, with our people in the office in Antwerp so yeah it was it was already from day one basically that we had this kind of disconnect uh, yeah. and then your customers they uh, they they were in it from the beginning or they also challenged it a little bit because not the fact that because you have to be there to check what they're doing but more of the co-creation part um, it's not because you're a remote company that you cannot go to your customers. I think that's important. Um, and um, I, I mean, for sure, we had a lot of meetings with our customers as well. That's that's uh, that's that's not a problem. And, um, but um, I mean, I think we really went full remote around 2014, something like that. Um, when I was also living in San Francisco, that made it uh, a lot harder with time zones as well. Um, and, uh, but yeah, customers actually, they, I mean, we pick the customers that they are okay with that. Yeah, so it's okay. the other way around. Um, because like, in, the US, it, in the US, it's already quite usual, eh? this kind of behavior because uh, West Coast mm -hmm. and East Coast or not? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But there is also still a lot of flying around um, for, for stupid meetings. So um, yeah, they are way better prepared for it in the US or mentally prepared for it because indeed they have already the time zones, they have people uh, moving all the time, they have offices spread out in the country, while in Belgium, of course, yeah, everyone's like, oh, you jump in the car and come for a meeting. Um, but that's, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Now, if you would go back and um, when, as an entrepreneur, what, what was for you the lesson that you would give yourself uh, I wouldn't say that you that you learned uh, or failed or whatever, but 
what what would you what would you tell yourself well what you tell what would you tell the andreas when he started as an entrepreneur in his company what would you tell him get get some accountancy skills get some commercial sales skills i always say that i i'm pretty happy with how everything turned out um Cool. That's a very tough question. It's not that I'm missing uh, like a certain skill. Um, I don't want. I, I mean, I, I didn't want the company to be like uh, tenfold today or something. It was always yeah. our ambition to stay a small company, mm-hmm. and it is still today. So I I don't regret any things. I I, I mean, I have a financial background. Uh, I did a master's in management, so I have that. I have organizational background. I have a technical background. So. Um, and I, I guess I'm a good salesman because I'm the only salesman in the company. So, um, so I, do, I don't think there is anything that I would, um, on, on, on like skill set. There is one thing that that I know is is what I should do better is um, is speaking. Like I speak often too fast. That's that's something, and I've, mm-hmm. I've been to a, to a, to a therapist for that. And and second, um, I guess to listen more. And it's something that I really try to do the last years is to focus on and I, I tell the people around me as well that they need to stop me when I interrupt them or, or and I, I try to listen more and that's that's very important that's something probably when I was young that that I was way even way more overruling or or, or interrupting people and that's probably the, the thing that if you ask me what should I should I have done different is maybe that you know? wow that's quite vulnerable to to, 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 to share that because I mean you're obviously very strong in what I call the hard skills eh, and the financial and the technical and the commercial etc blah 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 but then to say okay of the of the public speaking I understand that I have the same challenge but then to admit I have to listen that's really one of the soft skills which which is a very important one to connect with your colleagues uh, or with customers or with prospects how did you find out? Was that your environment who told you, like Andreas Creighton, shut the fuck up? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a very cool thing about our company is that we have a very open culture and people indeed, I mean, not in that way, but um, it, it, uh, yeah, it surfaced basically that, not that they find it a problem, but that sometimes it would make more sense for me to listen. And uh, I'm very grateful for them sharing that to me because otherwise I would never have known that. And that's the cool thing about our company that we are, that open and, and, and that transparent about about these kind of things. So this means also from the beginning you installed some kind of values and you're going to, um, every person who is going to enter the company, you're going to measure them according to those values. Yeah, yeah we say we hire for cultural fit or cultural add. So the, there is a big thing about hiring for cultural fit. That's nice, obviously. But if you hire for cultural ads, that means basically that your culture is going to be enhanced by the person you hire. So that's what we that's what we aim for. So in our recruitment process, it's something that we care about a lot. So that's the first thing we will check. And we have uh, Yannick, our, our uh, people manager, who is, is taking care of the interviews. And he has like a very strict procedure he needs to run through to, to figure out all these, these sides. So we have four values that we think are important. And for example, honesty is one of them. Honesty. Yeah. What are the other three? Um, so we have uh, sharing knowledge. Um, so we are very, very keen on, on, on sharing knowledge within the team, but also uh, outside of the team. So we give a lot of workshops. So we, we speak at conferences, stuff like that. Um, 
we care about quality, so we will never compromise on quality. So if you don't want to have quality codes, then you don't have to uh, come to us. So we, we, we don't compromise on that. And the last one is, uh, is uh, we are human. Um, and with that, I mean that um, we, I always say I wanted to build a company I would like to work for myself. And mm -hmm. I, when I keep that in mind, that makes me take the right decisions. So um, we have always had like, a, for example, one month of parental leave for dads. Uh, it's now the, the Belgian government is extending it to three year, uh, sorry, uh, three weeks this year, four weeks next year. So we had we already had that since I think four or five years, um, and those are all of these kind of things that we that we install to keep our people happy. And, and for example, if if someone is is his or her daughter is sick, they can go pick them up from school, and they just work a bit later in the night. We don't really care about. It. All that stuff. That, that's the thing that I admire about you from the beginning eh, is that this value thing and I mean the examples because I didn't know that that you are mentioning where I mean most I don't want to go black white of course but most developers technical people that I know are very left brain and on the soft skills sides and and the EQ sides eh, the emotional intelligence part there is still some eh, room for for improvements but you are the example it is not where where did you get those insights did you went to Dai Lama or something <laughs> no, no. or, or was, it, was it because he became a father that you no 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 it's, uh, we have the, that those values are we have them from 2015 I guess um, and, and basically we came up with them as a team so it's not that I mean it's not that in 2008 I sat together with my co-founder and decided okay what are we going to take as values no mm -hmm. The only thing I always had in mind is I want to have a company I would like to work for myself. I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind with every decision you take. And um, and then I think in 2015, we, we sent out a survey to to our team to to gather the input for, for the values. And basically the question was like, what do you what do you think we care about as a company? What are the values that, that you care about? And I think we got like 30 or 40 different uh, words and we started clustering them and then this is what came out of it so um, it and that basically tells you that it all starts with the people you hire because in the end they decided which values we will have and so we did a good job on the hiring I guess which made that we have a very unique culture in the company today um, and um, um, I always say I have no EQ and um, it's not entirely true but um, I'm not very good at, at at these kind of emotional things, um, so that might be that, that you think that is the case, but that's, that's not true. Um, I just have some good people around me who, who guide me in that, um, and that's uh, you have to know when you don't master a skill that you have to find the people that can help you master it. So that's that's what I did. Cool. <laughs> You don't have EQ. I think everybody has a little bit EQ, and I mean, I can't, I cannot imagine you have three children right now, eh? Yes, yeah. I mean, I cannot imagine when your daughter's coming to you saying, Dad, "Daddy, I love you." That you're not going to melt. I mean, of course, of course I do, of course I do. But I'm not. Um, I always say my wife is my EQ. I mean, so I'm not a very. Um, uh, I mean, not the person who thinks about sending birthday cards and stuff like that. Um, uh, okay, okay, yeah. that's not what I meant. I mean, with EQ, I really mean it's it, EQ is really about having empathy and trying to understand, trying to put yourself in the shoes of the other person yeah. and understand the context where he or she is living in to understand why he or she took that decision. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm pretty good at that. I don't know why. Reading people, I'm pretty good at that. Indeed. Yeah, reading people is one of the... Reading the room, reading yeah. people, this is, is one of the core qualities of, of emotional intelligence. So, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. And it's not somebody... It's not a trait that everybody has. Yeah, it's... Um, I mean... I think that's also what, what makes her as unique as a company is that most of our people have that combination of being a software engineer, um, but also with, with emotional skills and also business skills. I think that's very important. We, most of us understand finance, even our software engineers, they understand the business side of things, they care about it. They, they, because we mentor a lot of other companies. Um, so our engineers, they, they are really understand like how do you mentor people? How do you make people comfortable when, when you, when you, step in the first day in a new in a new assignment um so yeah we think that's very important for a software engineer to also have those skills yeah I, i've worked with quite some uh, of your developers of engineers and i have to admit also that they are very easy to collaborate even with a, with a guy like me <laughs> who is yeah. a commercial guy so uh but also the fact they also have a pm skills eh? project management skills eh? but th th that's the the funny part which i found about your company is that all these people have like, I wouldn't say all these, they, of course, in the core, they are software developers, but they have all these qualities around that mm -hmm. so they can drive a project on their own. Yeah, we, we have this thing we call the responsible developer. So we think that the developer needs to be his own project, uh, product manage, project manager. So indeed, we hire people that, that can take all the responsibilities. So we have this profile. There is, a, I think, an article on our blog that, is, that describes it. Mm. Um, and so we only hire people that, that fit in or can fit in that profile. Sometimes they don't know that they can and we, we help them grow into, uh, into it. Um, but we, we think that's very important because otherwise you need to have a, an army of account managers and project managers and all of that to, to manage your projects. Um, and, and then also we would never be able to do the work that we're doing, which is basically intervening in, in kind of falling apart, starting through scale-ups. And, and yeah, you cannot do that with account managers and salespeople in between. So that's why we hire these people and that, that really pays off because they, 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 they run their own projects. They, they tell us when there is problems. Um, they sometimes are very honest and, and, and I would say brutally honest with clients um, to tell them, okay, this, this needs to change or this is plain wrong, while other developers would hide in a corner. Yeah, but yeah. well, I mean, some some salespeople are good in some um, structures like yours. I mean, to be honest, you are the best sales guy there is to, to sell your services. I don't think there, no sales guy can or girl can ever replace that. No, because the cool thing is that, I mean, because to be very clear, I'm not the only one doing sales. Huh? So I'm indeed the principal, let's say, but, um, but we have spent a lot of our five other people as well. Um, but the cool thing is that we can immediately from the first meeting also dive into the technical and yeah. if you need to, because we work mainly for CTOs and, and software engineers, so we mm. need to get on the same level as them as soon as possible, because otherwise they're going to find us uh, hostile or, uh, and, and, and then you end up in a, in a very bad situation. So from the first moment, we try to get to the, to the right level with them. And we mean that it's not that we fake that or something. We try to understand what their problems are. And, and, and actually a lot of times we, it's the, 
probably the CEO who hires us or the, or the board of, of investors who hires us. But sometimes we're also, we're always going to pick the battle for the engineers, if, if it makes sense, obviously, and, uh, and be their sounding board towards the management team. And sometimes it's, it's conflicting with the interests of the CEO, um, but I don't really care about that. That's the honesty that, that I was talking about. Um, and that's what people really value. And that's also why engineers want to work with us, because otherwise I, I would think there's there are another consultant who comes to explain how we have to do things. And uh, yeah, that's not how it works. We really, because that's why we also do software engineering. We go down into the trenches with them. We, we hold their hands, we show them how it's done um, so that we get the, the trust and building of that trust is the most important thing to, to do. And once we have the trust, we start changing things. Look again, trust, emotional intelligence. Now, Andreas, I, I see your, you and your peers uh, a little bit like the A-team of uh, software development because my assumption is, my perception is that um, not all the time, but then a lot of times you come in when somebody else tried or they did it, they, they did it, they tried to did it themselves. Software development and the first version was a little bit moah or is not working at all, and then you then you enter. Mm-hmm. I mean, why do you? Why are you so attracted to troubled projects? Because you can only get better. Um. I mean, we, I think that, I mean, it's not necessarily trouble, right? just to be no, very no. clear. Um, no. So I think 80% of the work that we do is what we call brownfield work. So the greenfield is new projects where we start from scratch. And, mm. and the most, the majority of the work is this kind of brownfield work where there is already a team or a product mm. and we take it over or we help them. Right? Ideally, we help them. Taking it over is not, not all, is never the best situation. Um, why are we attracted to that? I guess it's because of my personality and to the extent the personality of the team as well where um we get um yeah bored pretty soon so a lot of people ask me why don't you build your own products i've Mm -hmm. tried that myself i've lived in san francisco uh to work on on on, on, on the company Uh, we sold it last year but i've been working myself on it for i think nine months and the company lasted for five years i think um but after nine months i realized i i'm not a person to work on one product for such a long amount of time and only on that product. I need to have that that drive of, okay, there is a problem here, I need to jump on it, and there is a problem there, I need to jump on it. And and to have that adrenaline rush, I guess, when there is downtime or uh, when there is like, a, like last week, we uh, I'm, I'm consulting with a company and they just acquired another company and they want to add the developers to, to their existing development team, but they are different stacks and they didn't consult the, the existing team on, on, on the merger. So there was like kind of conflict happening there. So you need to bring up indeed the human skills to, to, to demine that situation. And that's, that's the stuff that I love to do. Um, and also to, to extend the team. They like uh, optimizing things. And they like to find very deep technical problems in applications, stuff like that, rather than the greenfield, which is the easy thing, right? Mm. Um, that also makes that we sometimes jump to technology, for example, that we're not very familiar with, but we just try it and, and, and most of the time it just works out because of the level of our engineers, it doesn't really matter. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that's the drive that we need um, and, and that's why we're doing this kind of work. Now, now Made with Love is now with 20 yeah. people. Yeah. Um, one of the things that from the beginning you were re- pretty clear of is... Uh, making making sure that the company stays small um i mean you live in a world with investors especially with the last uh five to ten years i mean in belgium 
I mean, 20 years ago, there were a couple of startups, mm-hmm. but, but now, and it was then not so hip to work in a startup, but now it's the other way around. I mean, you see all these companies burning cash, like mm-hmm. wearing a badge of honor, uh, working in a startup is also uh, quite prestigious. I mean, but you never trap, you never trapped into the, um, you never fell for the trap to, 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 to make it bigger, to go bigger and to, to create a middle management and to, to search for funding. No, how, I mean, how, how searching did, for how, funding for a service company would be strange. I mean, no, you can do that, of course, if you want to aggressively grow it and then you go to a very big fund and, and you raise money, but then you're losing control. I'm, I'm still very young and I'm, I'm now... Is, is that the driver? Losing control? I mean, I want to have fun. That's the most important thing. I don't care about the money. Um, I mean... For me, the money is a nicer plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a, a, a nice paycheck every month and everything else that profit is a nice bonus, but it's not, it's not my driver. And um, I just want to have fun every day. And um, I mean, we recently did a management buyout because we had an external investor um, and we did a management buyout and, and now we are, I mean, we fully own the company again. And, and again, I, I believe in I probably I'll be doing this for 10 more years and, and of course it will grow. I don't have any doubts about that, but I don't want to have this kind of aggressive growth where you double in size every year or something like that. What we're doing now is we're, we're starting sister companies. So we have actually started another company because as you say 20, I think the actual number is 25 because we have a sister mm-hmm. company now that we launched. Um, it's called Smooth Sailing. Um, smooth, from, smooth Sailing? Yeah, Smooth Sailing. Yeah. Uh, what does it do? Um, yeah, we, we call it a, a, a studio for durable design. So we do UX design, uh, okay. UX research and stuff like that. Um, so there we are five people at the moment as well. So, um, and probably I'll, I mean, we want to diversify. So maybe we will start other, other of these kind of ventures, you know, under the umbrella of Major Love or like smooth selling in a, on, a, on a different brand. Depends on the type of, uh, of work that we do. For example, our engineering management services that we do. Uh, we want to expand on that as well, but we are going to do that within the Matrix Log brand. We just want to, to to get more of those assignments, and yeah. Um, I, I found it an interesting one. Um, well, you know where I work, and uh, <laughs> combining open source technology development with design is quite a challenge, and you are doing it. So where where did you get? Because these are for me, oppo- I wouldn't say opponents. In my eyes, they are necessary. I mean. Okay, okay, your code has to look very stable, etc., etc. But sorry, the end user, it needs to look good and mm-hmm. it needs to be usable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where the difference lies. I, uh, of course. Where, where where did you get those insights? Because the, I can imagine that those companies are a little bit, mm, I wouldn't say conflicting, but yeah. So that's also why smooth selling is a separate uh, mm-hmm. legal entity. Yeah. Um, we're not the only shareholders in it, as a, so we have a founder for Smooth Selling and, and Major Love is supporting him. Um, it's because we see the need. Um, we see a lot of clients struggling with it, mm-hmm. and uh, and it has been already for five years that I wanted to 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 find a solution for that. And um, we've been working with Hannes, who is the, the founder of the company, for for about four years now, I think, on various projects. And now we decided, okay, let's let's kick it off into a real company and, and, and hire some people. And so now we're already with five people. We're running for a year now. I think we announced a brand in November last year. Um, 
And and so yeah, I, I think it's um, but they do totally different work. They are not that okay. You start with smooth selling and then you come to major love. That's not how it works. They have their own clients. They have their own mm. their their own values. They have their own identity. Um, and it just uh, yeah, it just happens that we are a shareholder in that because I believe there is the the need for that kind of uh, work in Belgium and, and abroad because a lot of people forget about it. And in the US, they are way more ahead on, on, on yeah. for example, doing proper UX research before you build something. And so that's what we want to bring to, to Europe with Smooth Sailing. So basically, in the end, you want to create an ecosystem. Um, yeah, maybe you can you could say it like that, yeah. So one of the services, for example, that we started doing also actively last year is a recruitment. So, um, okay. so we actually just, I think today, are going to put a vacancy open for a tech recruiter. And uh, so we have already two people working on that. But we have such a huge demand on, on our services for recruitment as well that we're going to hire a dedicated data technical recruiter for it. Um, and but that also we're going to try to keep under the measured love umbrella because we think that makes more sense. So it depends on the type of service. And so for sure we will grow. Um, but I don't want to have this kind of I don't when I say I don't want to grow is I don't want to have these kind of targets. Okay, we need to grow by thirty yeah. percent every year or we want to double the Whatever, I don't know. But you don't, you, you don't want, and I really believe in that, that you don't want to create the, the kind of, it has to be like that, or yes. it must to, to force yourself, to push yourself. Um, like you're saying it, like you said before, eh, I feel it's more for you like playing, but I, I know you take your work very seriously. Eh? Um, but you don't want to be, you, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to use another word. I think the word more is you want to be creative and really go to, um, and and don't and don't be pushed by numbers to limit yeah. you. Yeah, that's exactly and, true. And, as, and especially not other people who don't know anything about it and who are just coming to visit you to to drink a coffee and to see what you have done with their money and to know when they're going to uh, get their money back with a very big uh, uh, margin yeah. on top of it. No, that's true, and, and that's why I don't want to go with a private equity fund to because they expect that, that they expect uh, growth and whatever. And so the, the investor we had was a kind of different investor. Mm. They were absolutely not chasing the numbers, um, and and basically what we did there as, a, as founders is we cashed out already in, a bit earlier, um, but now we bought the shares back. So um, that's 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 what happened there. But um, yeah, I. I, I I think we are fine as an independent company, and I hope we can we can stay. Maybe in the future again we will accept some external money if we think it makes sense to do it. But right now, I don't think it uh, mm. makes sense. What I just said was that uh, your customers are yeah, it's startup scaleups, and uh, the pandemic is that has been an opportunity for them or a threat. It depends on the industry they are in. Um, so some of our customers really got hit badly. Mm. Um, others, of course, have been thriving. Um, if you're in, uh, in in digital collaboration, obviously you're you're going to be thriving. But if you're a, a, a system for uh, co-working spaces to manage co-working spaces, you're going to be in trouble. So because we're not we're not focusing on a certain industry, obviously we mm. throughout the portfolio of the companies we're working with, it has been a bit various. Um, so yeah. I couldn't say like yes or no on that question. Now, if you compare, uh, we're now 2021. If you compare starter plans, scaler plans with uh, when you started 2008, 2010, what's the big difference there? I mean, what, what really changed there? 
Yeah, I've been reflecting on that a lot lately mm, because a lot of people ask me like, um, uh, if I could start over again, how would I do it? And the thing is, I've been on the right place at the right time. So it's been very lucky that I was in Amsterdam in 2007 and in New York um, and I met the right people basically. So um, that's how I got to know Verne, but also, for example, the CEO of the company uh, I was a CTO at, he is now this, the, I mean, he has been the VP of design of Lyft, for example, uh, he's now the VP design for Grammarly. And yeah, there is, I mean, I was having a, a chat with an investor last week and he was talking about his, his most important portfolio company is called Virtual Game. I don't know if you know them, but they're... How, how is it? What is the name? Vir Virtual Game. Virtu virtual Game. Virtual Gym. Virtual so Gym. Okay. It's to manage, uh, I mean, a lot of fitness centers use that to manage their subscriptions and whatever. And um, they are a very big company now. I think, um, I think they will go public one, uh, maybe in, in one or two years. Um, but I, I had a picture actually when, when I was in Amsterdam and the, the two brothers that founded and they are actually on the desk next to us in the co-working space. You can see them in the background, them two sitting there. We with a team of eight and they're just with their two. So you can see how our times are changing. Um, and I remember in 2008, I guess, um, or 2009, I, I was a developer advocate for, for the company I was working with. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was doing Metric Love and as uh, that was my legal entity. I was doing consulting work for the companies and the company I was working for, I was an API evangelist for them. So I had to, mm -hmm go to a lot of conferences. So I remember, I called it the circus. So I remember like a year uh, running around in Europe, meeting all those people, but it was so small back then. So um, there was like this, this the, the coolest conference was called FOBA, the future of web applications. In, it was in London, I think. There was no web summit then. I remember that I've been invited to the first web summit by, by um, what's the name again? The, the founder, I, I still found the email. I think it was Robin Waters who referred to me, like you should invite this guy as well. And I, I remember that he mailed me, yeah, there's going to be 800 people, uh, stuff like that. So, um, and um, because it was that small, I made a lot of good connections. Um, and in, in the Amsterdam ecosystem, but also for example, in Berlin and London. And that, those are things I, I still tap in every day um, with, yeah, when, when it's necessary. And that makes it a lot of people became investors or they started to work for for very big companies um and that makes it a lot easier for us to to find our way throughout that ecosystem as well so this means that if you would start a company in 2018 it would be much harder for you yeah for sure i mean if i would have to start what we're doing today i wouldn't know where to start i mean the yet you know that back then um there was I, one of the things that I started doing in 2009, I think it was a thing called Twos, Twitter Boost. So it was in Antwerp every, uh, every first Thursday, I think we did it. Um, and it was a drink up for people in the internet industry. So there was a website called Twos.be. I think it's still, I'm not sure if it's like this. You had a beer glass on it and that was the only thing you could see. And so if you were a nerd, you would go look at the source code and in the source code it said where the next event would be. So you only had people <laughs> from the internet. <laughs> um, so, and I started it with a guy, Matthias Bart, uh, and, and it was very, I mean, and we got the idea on a conference here in Leuven actually, uh, a very small conference. I think it only happened once and I, I know that they, that they, um, they didn't make <coughs> it financially. But, um, and, and 
that's where, for example, a lot of my Belgian connections were made. So I remember that we started maybe with four or ten people, right? Um, but in the end, uh, I think 2013, 14 probably, the, those events, they were attracting uh, more than 100 people. Mm. And that's also when I decided. And the thing is, what changed over time is that uh, I gave the management of the meetup group away to someone else and he decided to put it on Facebook and on on, on, on. so with, with the location and everything and so we also started tracking other people mm. um, and at that point in time I decided okay this is not um, well, and, but for example if you would have to start something like that today I think it would be a lot harder there was no meetup back then there was there was only very few things happening uh, so it was a lot easier for, for you to, to, to yeah to be visual like I remember in Amsterdam we had this thing called stick uh, it was a, a, a union of all the startups in Amsterdam at that point in time I mean that's of course the second wave of startups I had of course uh, you had like things like booking and at the end and stuff that was already before that but we, we started this stick thing and um, yeah a company like virtual game would be part of it but also for example we transfer um, so a lot of these smaller companies we were grouping together we were organizing events um, a bit like startups of BE is doing in Belgium, um, but then really from the startups. And yeah, we were just a small community, maybe 20 companies or something. Like if you, I mean, 20, 20, I mean, probably every day 20 new startups are starting in Belgium, but that was, that's just totally different. And in Belgium, there was no ecosystem at all, mm -hmm. really nothing at all. Um, and that's why it was so easy for us to start up the tools thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to start with it now. Because there is so much happening. Now, um, but today for uh, startups, yeah, like you mentioned, there is there are a lot of ecosystems. Um, if you if you want to become a startup, I think it's quite easy. I mean, like 20, 25 years ago, it was yeah, yeah. you were just a small company, and now if you if you come if you see that complete transformation in Belgium, um, the gap in between a startup culture in US and Belgium. I assume it's became it's becoming smaller, or is it for you still? It's totally different. I have, I have a funny story that I always tell when people ask me this question. But you know, in the in the nineties, everyone wanted to be Kurt Cobain and bought a guitar and started playing guitar, right? It's a good uh, choice. Yeah. I mean, in in the in the nineties, uh, everyone wanted to be DJ Chester and they, they bought a mixing setup. That's also my generation, so that's what I did as well. I bought a, a mixing panel and turntable and stuff like that. And, you started being a DJ, right? Then in well, wait, the... wait, wait, wait. So now you're going to say that you suck at guitar, playing guitar, and um, your mixing skills are not on par to to enter Tomorrowland, or? Uh, so I, I switched into sound engineering. So I realized yeah, okay. that. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> which is <laughs> but a I'm not a guitar player. Which, which which is a craft on itself, eh? Yeah. I admit, eh? It's a craft yeah, on itself, eh? I love doing it. Um, and then uh, in the in the tennis or whatever you call it. Um, yeah, it was like everyone wanted to have his own startup, mm -hmm. right? Um, and now in the twenties, everyone wants to be an investor. That's the that's the next thing. So um, just so you know. So um, and and so um, um, yeah, the, the the ecosystem is totally different, obviously. So um, the problem in Belgium and maybe in Europe as a whole is that there is a lot of governmental funding also going to startups subsidies, mm -hmm. loans, but even government funds investing in startups. Mm -hmm. And because of that, a lot of ideas get funded or get 
yeah get a runway that shouldn't get it that if they would try it in the us they would fail from day one because they're not viable they are not realistic um so i i can shoot myself for sometimes seeing these kind of bigger accelerator programs in belgium and they the company then reached out to us like can you help us build this thing and then they they tell me okay we have only this small budget which is like maybe one tenth of the budget you need to build something like that and then i ask myself the question why are they accepted into this incubation or acceleration program if financially it's not viable what they want to do or they don't have the funds to do it and then you have to look at why are we doing this these these acceleration and incubator programs and most of the times for example for there is like the bigger ones in belgium there uh, if you look at where they're in the so most of them are are, are part of a, a commercial ecosystem for example of a bank or whatever and then if you look at where the the where they are in the budget of that company it's always on the marketing so that means the only goal for the bank to do that startup ecosystem is to sell more loans right mm -hmm. and if you look at the government why are they doing that because they want to create more jobs like for example we have a customer in blockchain um, they they get these kind of grants from the government but the grant says you need to hire only belgian mm. payroll people or flemish payroll people sorry and that makes basically that they cannot find the right people they there is they don't exist in belgium mm -hmm. so they are delayed by the fact that they the funding they have is is is, is limiting them uh, and another thing for example is we have uh, some some leads in wallonia and um, but there they have this system and we have the same in belgium of you can get these kind of vouchers to to, to buy consultancy work mm -hmm. but uh, they're limited to, to to companies in wallonia so they cannot work with us while they want to work with us they are going to choose for a suboptimal provider because they they get a 75 percent discount from the government because they're working with that provider in their region better than another region and that's stuff that's 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 not existing in the us in the us i mean i've been to pitch, to pitch a lot of pitch days there with our own startup and and also just to, as an audience and if it basically the investor tells you okay this is a bad idea and the people when 10 investors say that they're not going to run to a government agency and try to get some some money from from there i mean that's and there is companies in belgium i know that are running for years really for years on subsidies and grants and whatever and they don't have a single customer and that makes absolutely no sense to me yeah. so we are actually artificially artificially creating a, a, a startup ecosystem that if you would take away all that subsidies and and and, and grants and uh, government loans it it will look totally different interesting and i'm not saying that's a i mean i get frustrated about that because um yeah sometimes i think they shouldn't fund companies that are not viable uh don't misunderstand me i think for example companies that have a uh, a social uh, responsibility or mm -hmm. have a ecological um want to do things in a more ecological way and are, are not viable on its own but then go seek for funding from the government to to make it uh, to make it profitable or, or just financially realistic i'm all in for that but not these kind of stupid ideas of people that want to do something then raise some government money and yeah that makes absolutely no sense would uh would you and this, this is a hypothetical question eh? um if you would move to the us with your wife and your three kids and would you do the same would it made with love us would it be the same company or would you would you be doing something different there um 
I would try to do the same. I mean, I really like what we're doing. Um, I, 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 I've been thinking about it also in the, in the, in the light of the management buyout. I was like, okay, is this what I want to do in my life? And I cannot imagine me doing something else. So I would do the same here. And it's something that we have considered right? in 2000, end of 2014, 2015, I was living in the, in the US and in, in, in uh, San Francisco, my wife was, was still here in Belgium. And um, I was there two weeks and then in Belgium two weeks. Um, and we got our first child in 2016. <coughs> so at that point in time, we had to decide, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to live in the US or are we going to live in Belgium? She also joined me for a couple of trips to the US, obviously. But uh, in the end, we decided, okay, um, we, want, we don't want to live in the US. Um, I'm very happy that I took that decision uh, in hindsight. Um, Why? Uh, I always describe uh, the US as a third... Uh, yeah, third world country. So there is this tech bubble in, in New York and in San Francisco, but if you step outside of the tech bubble, everything is very, very sad, basically. If you have done a road trip with my wife for a month and throughout the, uh, the West Coast um, and, and like a lot of the parks, and, and when you just drive along the road and you stop in a random town, you see the poverty of the people. And I understand. I understand a lot of those people for voting for, uh, for example, for Trump because they're so frustrated and their situation is endless. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm, not that I'm agreeing with them, but um, there is. And then if you then you live in San Francisco, there is this huge tech bubble. But um, if you, I will add an apartment to, uh, on Knob Hill, which is close to Market Street. But if you, if you walk on, on Market Street in at 10, 10 p.m. in the evening, you're stumbling uh, over the homeless people. And during the day, the police removes all of them, but in the night, they're back. And that's the other side of the system that people don't realize. And I, I, when, you, when I went to the supermarket in San Francisco, there was, um, I was queuing and people in front of me and, and after me, they were all talking about yeah, technical stuff and engineering. And, and I know this was a totally wrong uh, ecosystem to, to live in because... It's really a kind of bubble, and now it's actually burst. Like a bubble burst, and, and people are just leaving San Francisco, and and because uh, the house prices were, for example, also very crazy. And uh, I'm very happy that I didn't uh, go there. And I, I think uh, the U.S. is a really fucked up country, if you if you ask me, from what I've seen at least. Mm. Uh, yeah. Now, um, you say this is the only thing that I I wouldn't say can do, but uh, that I want to do in ten years. Do you see yourself doing the same thing? So there is. I mean, I mean, if you say I want to be an investor, I mean, then you no. need then you need money, and in in order to get money, your services company. So this means you can only spend your person once. I mean, the hour he's he's performing or coding or whatever he's doing or she doing. Um, yeah, I mean, the software company is scalable. Of course, I don't have to explain you that. Eh? Yeah, yeah, but that's, it's not our ambition to, to be that. I mean, we have some ideas of, of how we can, uh, of products that are content related, mm-hmm. um, not software products, but, but content products that, that we would, uh, that we are building actually today. Um, but that's not where the big money is, I guess. Um, I don't want to be an, inv- I mean, um, a year ago or two years ago, I wanted to be an investor, mm-hmm. but then I started digging more into, into investing and I figured like the investors, not the, the one making the big money, obviously. It's, uh, um, it's the LPs that, that hopefully make the big money. So it's a, it's a dirty job to be an investor. And I, I, 
I don't think I want to do it because then again, like I said, I don't want to have uh, external people telling me what to do. If you're becoming an investor, you have again external people telling you what to do because you need to you need to have the profits for your for your LPs. Um, and yeah, that's probably not what I want to do. So I am investing myself a bit, um, but that's with my own money um, and 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 with maybe with love for also doing some smaller deals, um, angel things. Um, but it's not that we want to make uh, our our main focus. Um, so. Um, if you ask me what I would be doing in 10 years, either it's, it's doing what I'm doing today or I have another passion, uh, it's woodworking and uh, I'm actually, my, my managing company is also registered as a, uh, a woodworking company and, and I'm actually practicing that already. Um, so it's basically building uh, yeah, uh, house, uh, houses out of, of, uh, of wood. Houses, um, not just yeah, tables yeah. and and. No, no, I did that. No, I'm not the man. I'm not the guy for the uh, for the, the fine uh, work. I'm really doing the. So, because of the pandemic, for example, I built a cabin in my backyard and oh. to 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 work from. Um, and I built my own house and I built another house already. Um, yeah, it's like a wooden frame structure, um, houses and. Um, I I can imagine myself if I if I am fed up with the whole technology. To, to, to go and do that. I have a company that, that, that I can go to and I know that they will hire me. Um, so, yeah. Cool. So it's basically the same thing. I mean, you like building stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I like seeing the results of the, of the work. Is there, is there some kind of meditative um, aspect on the fact that you are um, creating with your hands with wood, which is something, yeah, completely different than, than code, which is always in, in with your head? Uh, probably, yes. But it's, I don't, I mean, I don't practice it enough to be very clear, um, but, um, but probably, yes. Yeah. I've also been doing, for example, I've, I've been sailing, uh, uh, I've been doing sailing races, and that's, I always told people that's like one of the only occasions where I totally zone out, like I, it's skiing and sailing, by the way. Yeah. I'm also very, uh, big skier but those two sports are things that you you can only focus on the sport itself you cannot focus on anything else and they're also a bit technical and that's what i like about it um yeah. you sail yeah yeah competition uh, it has been a while because with, with the kids it's not easy because yeah you're sometimes you're you're gone for a couple of days for a race and yeah that's not easy yeah. and your wife is also a sailor or? no no she i mean she she occasionally joins on, on some trips but uh, no I'm actually now studying to get my sailing permit because you, they change the rules on the 1st of July and from then you have to do a practical exam. And so, I want to, so I'm now doing evening courses on the, to get my uh, permit to, to sail. Actually. Cool. Now, what is, uh, what is for you uh, well, a crazy, crazy, crazy dream? But crazy, yeah? Do you, do you want to speak in, in some kind of TEDx for 1 million people in Las Vegas? Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, Wanna no. play in a Hollywood movie next to Scarlett Johansson? I already did that. So I'm not Hollywood movie, but Belgian movie. So I, I always have the feeling I already did a lot of things in my life and that's nice. And so I've been featured on, a, on the titles of a, of a famous movie from Eric Van Dooy. I don't know if you... Uh, well, which one? The Premier. So it's a movie uh, about uh, the... I yeah, yeah, I know it. You, yeah. you were, you were in there. You were, so, so we built the. So the, it's 
it's a movie where there is a guy in the CIA is involved in the whole thing. Yeah. And um, they have this kind of control room. Yeah. And so the whole control room was built by us. So it was actually functional. More. Uh, because the, the director, he said, okay, we want this to be realistic. And so they, they called in our help. So I, was, I read the script. I remember it. I read the script uh, two years before they, they started making the movie. Uh, and I actually edited it on, uh, edited it on being technically correct. Yeah? So what's possible with technology. And then uh, we also built the whole interface. It was like a very t- big touch interface where it, they could actually like, kind of follow the, the different cars and helicopters and stuff like that. So it was very cool project. So yeah, we got featured on the titles. Um, okay, but there was no, like, you were not a stand-in actor for... When no, the, no, no, when no, the no. Na- When the naked scenes, so they no. hired you as a, as a stand-in for, to show your butt or something? No, 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 no. 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 And, and I mean, I've been in various books already, so... I've checked a lot of those boxes. I've been on a big, big conference already, and uh, I mean, on a couple of big conferences already. So I ticked a lot of those boxes. Um, I think the, the, the story is the story I always take is uh, is the Obamacare story. I don't know if you have, know what happened with Obamacare. Yeah. Why so many people make fun of it? No. Um, so actually, the the Obamacare itself was there is nothing wrong with it, and also the Trump care what they have today is actually very similar in mm-hmm. terms of what they get and whatever. But um, they make fun of Obamacare or the Republicans make fun of Obamacare because of, of one big reason is that Obama had the idea, okay, we make an online platform where people can then register to get the free healthcare. Mm-hmm. And um, so they worked on that platform, like a very big uh, consultancy company worked on it probably with 3,000 3, people or something for years, spent a lot of money. They launched it and it went down. So because it was totally overloaded and they were not happy, they were not able to cope with the load. And um, it, it, I think it was done for two weeks or something. And they, they couldn't manage to, to get it running. And that's why people say Obamacare is a fail because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to think about what Obama did and that, that's what I find cool. And that's what I at one point in time want to do as well. Not being the Obama, but the other side. He called, I think, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Dell or something, and he asked them like, send, I think Cisco was also involved, send your best engineers. And they, they made a group of maybe seven to ten people that went in and I think they fixed it on two days. And, you, and you want to be part of that? That's I want dream. to be that team. Yeah? Cool, that's a cool dream, man. <laughs> well, that's a cool one. Now, so that's, that's what we want to do. I mean... Last, last question, uh, when your kids are 18, what, what is the advice you're going to give them, or even before that, start your own company? I mean, they have to chase their own dreams. Um, no, I'm not going to push them in starting a company, uh, although I think in the economy we live in today, and what I see around me is that most people, I mean, I don't know, maybe 50% of people are going to be freelance by then. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not going to into governmental stuff, probably you'll be almost freelance um no but they have to chase their own dreams i don't really care what they what they do and i the only thing for me that matters is that they're happy and that they uh yeah they like what they're doing uh, never going to push them into into something what a closing warm loving state from a loving father who says i have no absolutely fucking eq andreas <laughs> creighton i want to thank you for your time it was very inspiring and um yeah just thank you I cannot say thank you for having me and I hope you had a great time absolutely thanks thanks bye bye Andreas
Hey, it's Peter here. Thanks a lot for listening to What's On Your Mind. Looking forward to your opinions and comments. And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye.